We're back and we're excited. Clay Sweet and Jeff Lossett back with what, Jeff, that season seven? Yep, season seven, uh, episode one, kind of a preview special uh, going in. Uh, some jamborees coming up next week, but going into this uh, fall football season. Season seven, episode one. Yeah, we've got four, in my opinion, awesome interviews tonight for our listeners. Uh, three uh, football coaches here in Pearl River County. We're missing one that's not lost on us. Pearl River Central Blue Devils head coach Jacob Owen will join us uh, later, uh, whether it be next week or the following week. So we'll, for your Blue Devil fans, we by no means have forgot about our friend Jacob Owen and his program. We will certainly get to him. But the other three uh, county coaches we will have on tonight. And then to lead things off tonight, Jeff, I had the pleasure of interviewing Kent Bass. He's a writer with the Washington Post. He writes uh, features for the Washington Post. But he recently wrote a book, Across the River. It was released Tuesday. And boy, oh boy, this book puts you in a deep dive of Algiers and Algiers Point and Edna uh, Carr, the high school football program, Coach Brown down there. And Jeff, I am in Chapter 7. And this book came out, as I said, on Tuesday. I'm, I'm using the Audible version just so um, so that I could get to it a little bit quicker in prepping for this interview. But it's, it's riveting, gripping stuff. I Googled it. We are 47 miles from uh, Edna Carr and, and where this book takes place. And 47 miles is going to seem like a long, long way, man. This is uh, just brings you right into the heart of, some issues we have in this country and some um, things that Coach Brown tries to do to, to fix those issues. It's inspiring. It uh, makes you cry. And it's got football in it, man. It is a absolute uh, stellar read. So I would recommend uh, you go purchase this book. Ken Bapp at the end of the interview actually tells you the best way that he thinks uh, that you should purchase the book. But then – Jeff, who do we have batting in that two spot? Yep, uh, <clears throat> coming in second on the interview uh, tonight is going to be Cody Stockner, head coach of the Picking Maroon Tide, going into his second year. Uh, we talked to Cody just, uh, you know, some times facing uh, the the county, the state, uh, you know, and the country. Uh, and, of course, everything's, you know, covered around pandemic, so to speak. But uh, get his aspect on things that uh, learned – from year one to year two and things that he expects his program to do here in the 2021 season. Hey, and we're talking about a batting lineup. Batting third in the ninth order is Jay Beach, and we did it a little different tonight. We had a pinch hitter, so to speak, for our interview. Uh, Jason Baker, of course, pop, of our Popperville crew, and say he's a segregate member of this family, to the Talking Ball Y'all family, as, as much as he uh, does for us and with us, and, and he'll step in and he'll actually get an in-person interview with Coach Beach. And so we can't wait to hear from Popperville's head coach, Jay Beach. Of course, they've played and now do that four straight uh, state championships. And, boy, oh, boy, that's just such a mouthful. Let that kind of sit and uh, resonate on the job he's done at Popperville High School. And then, uh, batting in the cleanup spot, Jeff, who do we have? Yep, uh, cleanup's going to be uh, head coach uh, the Pearl River uh, Community College Wildcats, Seth Smith. Again, uh, his second year uh, at Pearl River Community College. So talking to him about, you know, things that were 
he uh, he's seen in year one and some things to improve on in year two. And, of course, we always enjoy uh, Coach Smith's uh, enthusiasm, and he brings a, a life uh, to coaching. Just, uh, uh, you know, some people say, you know, a lot of people don't respond to the rah-rah, but this guy right here, Coach Seth Smith, is the real deal, and he is excited about what's happening at Pearl River Community College. Yeah, and uh, as we always say, Jeff, we appreciate our listeners. We appreciate our sponsors as well. Silver, Silver Run Cleaning Services, a new sponsor, Paul Pastry, a new sponsor of the Paul uh, of the podcast. We actually will intro some of our um, interviews with it being the Paul's Pastry podcast phone line. As we're still actually working, they're such a doer podcast sponsor that we're working on getting their commercial together so we appreciate paul's pastry joining the club and then also uh, alex riser with southern ag uh credit in the banking business there we appreciate them you'll hear his spot inside of this podcast so thank you to our sponsors thank you to our listeners and jeff i believe we were counting up this number 96 our number 97 on the episode. So, man, I, I can't thank you enough for the work you put in to get these out and what a journey and fun time it's been. Yep. You, we were, like you said, we were talking 96, 97th episode, and, and I just threw a number on you uh, before we started uh, recording tonight. Uh, right at or not over, uh, if not a little over, 55,000 listens for two boys right here uh, in South Mississippi, right here in Picayune. Yep, and that was a, uh, it would probably be in kind the way you described it. <laughs> I kind of paused, but you said too. I was like, oh, what's he going with here? But you went with boys, so we'll take that. <laughs> We've been called words, uh, especially here locally. So we'll take that, Jeff, and uh, thank you, and sit back, relax, and enjoy the interview. How do you unwind? Whether it's hunting, riding horses, or just sitting around a campfire. It's better on land you own. Southern Ag Credit can finance that land. Give our Gulf Port office a call at 228-832-5582. Or visit us online at southernagcredit.com. We're fortunate now to be joined by Kent Babb. Kent's a sports feature writer for the Washington Post, but more importantly to us at the moment, he's the author of Across the River. Kent, thanks for taking time for us here on the podcast. Yeah, Clay, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate you. I was telling you before we went on, Kent, I'm in Chapter 7, and this book um, is just riveting stuff, so congratulations on the fine work you've done. Just tell our listeners a, a little bit about the book, if you would, Kent. Yeah, man. So in 2018, I wrote a story about Bryce Brown, who's the head coach of Edna Carr High School in New Orleans. It's just across the river from the French Quarter, hence uh, the title in part. Um, but, you know, just backing up slightly, um, a lot of my work at the Washington Post you know, kind of explores the intersection of sports and society, culture, sometimes even political issues. Um, and so... When I, I went to New Orleans in 2016, uh, right after Will Smith, the former Saints defensive end, got murdered. And you, you might remember that. I mean, it was not just as somebody who was famous and sort of beloved in New Orleans got killed, but it was where he got killed. It was in the Lower Garden District. 
I mean, this is where, like, Emeril Lagasse lives. This is where Sandra Bullock lives. And I just remember standing there just thinking, like, how in the world does somebody like this in a place like this get killed? Like, how do, why do you reach for the gun? Um, and, and the thing that really kind of blew me away, Clay, is, like, you know, yes, like, what happened? But when the story you posted, I got a call from somebody in New Orleans City Hall that they, they weren't calling me because they were upset that it had happened exactly. They called me because they were upset that I had written about it happening, mm. you know, and like pointed out that the city had a major gun violence problem. Um, so it was something I wanted to revisit. And then in 2018, um, I got forwarded a story by one of my editors at the post about Bryce Brown, the head coach at Carr, you know, who was being honest about this. Two young people had gotten murdered right outside a car basketball game uh, in the parking lot, and they didn't stop the game. They just kept on playing, uh, even though two puddles of blood were outside. Mm. And, um, you know, the media comes over, you know, the next day. Uh, Mayor Landrieu was there. And, and, and they're just sort of like kind of continually saying, you know, New Orleans is safe. You know, it's okay. <laughs> like, this is not who we are. And I just remember in that story that got forwarded to me, Bryce is like, no, it is who we are. And we need to deal with this. We need to confront this. Like, stop telling people it's okay because it's not. Like, there are real problems our young people are dealing with. Like, this is a city where if you're a, a black male, 18 or 19 years old, you're 56 times more likely to get shot and killed than the national average. Wow. Like, people call me and say, like, somebody got murdered, and they tell me with, like, the urgency of, like, if, if like I said, I got it in a fender bender. It's just like something that happens. Like it sucks, but like it, it's just something that happens here. You know, like you you grieve and you are sad, but then you kind of move on, and that's crazy to me. And you know, I think like what I was drawn to Bryce about is, you know, unlike the other people who called me, you know, he just sort of refused. He, he refused to lie about it, and he refused to accept it. And he just thought I can use football. You know, like this my my high school football program, which is super successful in Louisiana um, to just maybe change some lives, maybe even save a few lives too. So I wrote the story and I just remember standing on the sideline thinking like, man, this, this could be a book. When you're writing it, uh, Ken, early in the book, um, it, you give us a phrase, they give you a phrase, give them the real. How did that even kind of set the tone for the way you told the story? <laughs> early on, you know, because I, I did a lot of thought. You know, I, I went back and forth from dc where i live to new orleans so i didn't it's not like i moved down there full time i've got you know she's now four-year-old little girl mm -hmm. you know she was one or two at the time you know can't just like leave um so i flew back 19 times in like eight months back and forth back and forth pretty much every weekend during uh, certainly during the season um if something happened you know like what happens in chapter seven i was on a plane the next day um you know just like i had to see it and you know, I, I just wanted to sort of see this thing playing out in real time. And so I, I did a lot of thinking, like, what's the right way to handle this? Like, this is kids, and, like, I, I don't – they've got it hard enough. Like, I don't want to make this worse. You know, like, we all, we all did or said stuff that, you know, hmm. we may not be proud of or whatever when we're 16, 17, 18. So do I, you know, want to, you know, quote 16, 17-year-old, 18-year-olds and have them be asked about it, like, in a job interview or something sure. in 10 years? sort of the one thing that these coaches asked me to do, you know, they didn't ask me for favors or for money or for any, anything. The one thing they asked me 
was show this thing completely how it is. Like, don't change names. Don't sugarcoat it. Give them the real. Hmm. So basically, like, if you want to write this story, we'll let you write the story, but only if you write it just as it is. And I said, okay, yeah, that's 100%, man. Like, that's that's what I want to do, too. So that's what I did. I mean, give them the real basically means that everyone deserves and receives honesty all the time. The, the truth may be con- uncomfortable, it may be painful, it may be even brutal, but it beats a lie every single time. Powerful stuff. Uh, Jeff Duncan, who's been on this show, Wright Thompson, Jeff Perlman, have all uh, praised the book. I'm certainly, as an author like yourself, that's that's got to be noteworthy. How have the people closest to the program uh, received the book? Uh, really, really positively, which is a relief. I mean, you never know how, you know, when you write about something. I always sort of joke that, you know, when you write about something, you know, write about somebody, you know, like it's, it's like you're being seen naked. It's like the person who you're writing about is being seen naked. You don't really know how they're going to react. Um, and I didn't know how, you know, the coaches and players there would react. You know, I was a little nervous about it. This is so intimate. Like, it's so, like, in their business. Um, and you're putting this world, which, like, a lot of Americans are not comfortable acknowledging, you know, just out there. All of it is out there. Like it or not, it's out there. But everybody, I mean, literally everyone is excited about it, is thankful for it. You know, and I think, I mean, I don't know. Like, I like to think that it's because I sort of stayed true to my word. You know, I didn't need to embellish it. I didn't need to make the story bigger than it actually was. Like, you know, there's very little kind of flowery writing hmm. in this. Like, I didn't I didn't juice it up. Um, this story is unbelievably powerful. And, like, it changed kind of how I look at, you know, the city, you know, football, the people who live in communities like this, uh, how you write about people. I mean, it, it, it changed me, man. I mean, like, and I'm not ashamed to say that. Um, you know, it just did. I mean, it, it's, it's an unbelievable experience for me, and, like, it was it was almost, like, hard to, you know, be done with it. Yeah, Cam, we record about 45, 50 miles um, outside of where this has taken place, and, of course, familiar with Edna Carr and their football program as being a sports parts podcast this close you would hope that I would be but I actually got on Google uh, Maps last night and just did the street view I mean you do such a good job with like the street descriptions you can almost just feel the pavement as uh, some of these characters and some of these young men and coaches are walking on certain roads that is that just uh, was that a conscience uh, decision with the streets the direction I believe even one of the chapters that I've already gone through is like an intersection just so much of that is prevalent through these first seven chapters yeah I mean a, a lot I mean I, I wrote four different drafts of this entire book I mean for better or worse like COVID allowed me you know time and so like this was originally slated to publish last fall and then, you know, because of COVID and because of the election, you know, they decided, I'm thankful for this, uh, let's push it a year. And so, like, ordinarily, I think I'd be kind of bummed, you know, it's not going out for a year. But, I mean, I took the time and rewrote it. I rewrote it from start to finish um, last spring and summer. And then I tweaked it two more times, start to finish, uh, in the fall and this, this last spring. Um, and, and, like, a couple of things. I mean, I wanted... New Orleans, but more importantly, the West Bank, 
sort of be one of the characters. Like I've never, I had never been to the West Bank before I wrote that first story in 2018. And my guess is a lot of people who are going to read this have never been to the West mm -hmm. Bank. Like you just, yeah. for the most part, you don't have any reason to go there, you know, maybe pass through, but like, you know, you're not going over there. There's nothing for you if you're a tourist really. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I want people to feel it. I want people to know like how close these things are. You know, this graveyard is right next to, you know, the McDonald's that Joe is going to. He crosses the same street every day that Tonka George walked on and got killed on. I mean, it's just like, this is a, New Orleans is a city, but it has this, like, small town vibe to it, you know, especially in Algiers. It feels really, really neighborhoody and small. You know, like, it's, you can't quite walk it, but you almost can. And, you know, I just wanted people to feel it. I wanted people to, feel like they had been there you know and i wanted you to also know how damn close it is to hmm. the french quarter i mean yeah. you can stand on jackson square and see algiers you know that's one of the reasons i named it across the river yeah ken when you look at and i'm not even know if you're familiar of uh partaking in the wire that that series that i count as one of my favorites and then a cross between it and like the the friday night lights the classic book as you have such elements of that but football is almost a bystander in this is that fair <laughs> i mean kind of i mean like uh now here's the funny part like i mean some of the there's a couple things i mean yes like this is about shooting and poverty and racism and mental health and eviction i mean it goes on and on the failures of a police department institutional racism uh there's a lot of heavy stuff you know that we get into but two things you know one is like there's some really funny stuff in here too like bryce is funny you know the way like he talks to some of these kids like he's sort of a 400 pound goofball first time i ever met him you know we're in line at raising canes and uh he's like reaching for his wallet he's ordering some food for some kids uh reaches for his wallet gets tangled up in a seat belt uh panics drives up on the curb in the drive-through and toots the horn like all in like three seconds and like just laugh and laugh and laugh and it's still like something that i laugh at today and you know he's like this prankster um but the other part is just like how simple they see football so man like i've covered football from high school to college to pro for 15 years and clay i learned more about the game of football from these 18 months and sitting in and meetings on film sessions just talking ball with these high school coaches than i have in all 15 of those years and i mean this is ridiculous and pretty embarrassing even but one of my pandemic hobbies was getting serious about playing Madden. And so, like, I play Madden every night, and uh, I'm now in the 1% of the whole world playing, like, using the car offense. Like, I basically use their exact offense and the principles they taught me, and I'm now, like, I'm ranked in the top 1,000 in the world, which is ridiculous. Um, but, I mean, point is, like, I've learned so much about football that I wish I had known when I was actually writing about the sport. Yeah, I think you did a very good job. I guess it was Catholic's um, coach who was a former, ironically enough, was a former coach at St. Stanislaus, which is about 35 miles from here, won a state championship over there before he moved to Catholic. And I think he was trying to point that um, the X's and O's and the, that side of the coaching that Coach Brown is pretty excellent at, right? Yeah, you talking about Gabe? Yes. 
Yeah, I actually saw Gabe at Louisville. I went to Louisville for something a couple weeks ago, and I ran into him and uh, Jamie Greedy Dance. Um, you know, I didn't see him, but but I saw his locker. But Gabe uh, showed me around the Louisville football facility. I mean, look, I had to really rely. Like, I, I mean, it sounds ridiculous. I mean, everybody sort of thinks they know football. Um, well, I thought I knew football, but like, I didn't know how to like read a defense. You know, I didn't. I couldn't have told you what the difference between like cover two and cover three is. And, like to me now, it's like that's embarrassingly simple. Um, and like how to read, like not just like what is cover three, but what's cover three match, cover three sky, cover three hard flat, uh, you know, things like that, that I can now tell the difference on. And it's because of people like Gabe, because of Bryce, because of Chris D, because I just had like a thousand stupid little questions about football that like I never knew and never asked. And even if I had asked, like professional coaches are just never going to tell you. They're not going to let you sit and watch film with them really. Um, which is kind of a shame, you know, I think, but, but these people, you know, it didn't matter how many questions that I asked them, they answered them every single time. And I just couldn't be more grateful. Like if, if and, and more, I just think more coaches on the higher level should be like that. Like if somebody really wants to learn, it's not like proprietary. I'm not going to, I'm never going to be a football coach. Like I'm not trying to steal a playbook, but like if I really want to learn the game, you know, it, it shouldn't be so hard to learn it, I think, you know, and then these people gave me an education. I'm really grateful for them. You mentioned COVID earlier um, in one of the answers. Seeing and just reading, like I said, chapter seven through this, I, it's made me see um, my wife's a school teacher. I've got two kids in elementary school. The virtual learning option, the shutting down of schools, like reading these first seven chapters make me see that in a different light. Is Did, did that factor in a way that you've thought as, as the nation's gone through all, all these waves of the pandemic? I, I mean, I think I think it sort of illustrated how fragile some of these institutions are. And, and by that, I mean, just like going to school and like having that thing to go to every day hmm. is so important for young people in this country. Like everybody complains about going to high school or whatever, but like for the most part you go and like you got people holding you accountable. And then suddenly... You know, when you don't, when you can't go anymore, like that's really disruptive. And, and frankly, like one of the reasons, like one of the sort of origin stories of why I think New Orleans is the way it is right now, um, from like a gun violence and psychology perspective is because like post Katrina, there's a generation of young people, you know, who were homeless, who had to move. I mean, New Orleans is a very territorial place where, you know, traditionally people just sort of stick to their neighborhood. You know, if you grew up on this block, you don't really leave, you know, and if you might go to school, you might go to work, but you always come back and then your kids are going to grow up on this block and their kids are going to grow up on this block. Well, Katrina killed that. I mean, suddenly like they, they tore down all this housing, you know, the Airbnb boom, you know, moves in and pushed people who lived in, in the city and these neighborhoods for generations, pushed them away. And this is like a whole generation of young people who are traumatized and never learned conflict resolution. And one of the places they learn some of that, ideally, is in school, you know, where you have to learn how to talk to adults and communicate with each other and coexist. And the same is true on a football field. And then when you just can't go to these places, I mean, I, I wonder and I fear if, uh, you know, there's going to be more fallout, you know, just like one year, I guess, in counting of people who aren't able to go to school and play ball and be around their support system, no matter the city. 
you know, is there, are there going to be after effects? And I, I fear that the answer is yes, because I just, especially in communities like Car, hmm. like Algiers, like, you know, they really, really depend on this routine and the people inside that routine to just sort of keep going day after day after day. Yeah, it was incredible to see just through these seven chapters of how many people, uh, adults and student athletes that Coach Brown really takes care of. Yeah, man, I mean, he's taking care, you know, whether it's, you know, providing guidance. I mean, this is somebody who, for better or worse, like if somebody calls him at 3 in the morning and needs Mm -hmm. something, he answers the phone. And, you know, it's debatable on whether he should do that because, like, he's being worn down. I mean, this is a... Hmm. 400 pound man who like really takes terrible care of himself and like so i personally worry about him it's just like i I just it doesn't end well if you're that big and you know like you have clear mental health problems you don't allow yourself to experience joy um like for instance like even when the book came out like he called me the other day and congratulated me and i was like Mm -hmm. well congratulations to you too man like you know it's not every day you know a book comes out about you and it's just interesting because, like, I really wanted him to be excited about this. And I just don't think he's capable of it. And a friend of mine was like, well, just think about, like, what you wrote in the book. He's never there for the celebration. And I'm like, that's right. You know, yeah. and it's like, you know, he, he he pays for these weddings and reunions. He pays for, like, coaches to go to these things, and Bryce never does. If somebody's got a party, he never shows up. You know, even after they won the state championship in 2018, you know, the whole staff is, like, in the weight room with the players going nuts, you know. Like, they're giving them, like, a champagne shower, spraying these kids. And Bryce is in his little cramped office alone, complaining mm. about the team picture and drinking Powerade. And this is, like, one of the biggest days of his life. And he's just in there by himself, drinking a Coke or drinking two Powerades, and mm. he's in the office alone and goes to bed. It's just like, man, like, I just you, you wish that, like, he could celebrate some of these amazing things. It's just, like, there's this kind of beautiful heartbreaking irony about who Bryce Brown is that makes him a super compelling character but also a human being that I tend to worry a lot about yeah and you just I mean like I said I'm I'm binge listening uh through this thing and so uh you you've mentioned characters I've mentioned binge there and our Netflix and Amazon Prime and whatever era we're in with that like could we not picture this in, in that format Kent I think we could, yeah. Uh, okay. There might have been some talks about this. Uh, we'll see what happens down the road, but uh, I don't I don't think the car story is, is quite done. Awesome. Good stuff. Good stuff, man. Thanks again for taking uh, time for the show. Kent, where can people uh, go find the book or follow you? I, I found you, of course, on, on Twitter, but uh, let our listeners know where to go get the book. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the book is available anywhere, you know, so wherever you think it's available, it is available there. I try to encourage people to support your local bookshops, ideally black-owned bookshops, because they really need us. I mean, like, these are small, independently-owned shops, um, and sometimes, you know, the what, the $7 you save, you know, buying it somewhere else could make or break these mm-hmm. people staying open. Like, so during the pandemic in particular, I'm just sort of encouraging that. That said, it, it is available everywhere. Uh, you can you can go to goacrosstheriver.com, and it'll direct you to, to various places. Um, should be in every book bookstore uh, in your neighborhood. You can find me on Instagram at bykentbab, and on Twitter at kentbab. Thank you again, Kent. Man, great job, and we appreciate it. Awesome, Clay. Thank you so much for inviting me, man. I had a good time talking to you. Thank you, buddy.
Hey folks, it's never too early or too late to get that spring cleaning done. Give our friends at Silver Run Cleaning Services a call. They provide Pearl River County and the surrounding areas with a professional cleaning service. Silver Run Cleaning offers tailor-made and customizable services for your commercial business, your post-construction cleanup, and your residents. Remember that Silver Run Cleaning Services. For reoccurring and one-time appointments, give Darby McCraney a call at 601-337-1721. That number once again is 601-337-1721. Let Silver Run Cleaning Services handle all your messy cleanups. We are pleased now to be joined by Cody Stogner, the head football coach of the Picayune Maroon Tide, going into his second year. Cody, Jeff and I are always appreciative when you'll join the podcast. Guys, it's a pleasure of mine, and I enjoy doing it. And, you know, I hope I can bring a little knowledge to you. <laughs> well, let's start there, Cody. You know, when you look at football, it's often said between game one and two, that's where the most improvement uh, the most that you can learn, well, I'll ask it a different way. Between year and one, two, uh, first year and now the second year, what are some kind of some lessons learned when you reflect back from, in most eyes, that's a pretty good year y'all put together um, last year. I've already seen your quotes. So I know that you maybe uh, don't agree with that, but what's some lessons learned in your first year? Well, you know, I mean, there's so many different aspects of the game between being fans you know, an assistant coach coordinator and going moving into the head coaching role. Uh, you know, some of the stuff I had to learn on the fly, uh, but I was fortunate enough to have some guys with me, you know, that, you know, part of my staff that made it a lot, made it easy. Uh, you know, there's things that you don't think about as being an assistant coach, you know, as you go into the season and things pop up and, you know, you learn on the fly. But uh, a lot of stuff I've taught myself, you know, over, over these last few months, you know, I've learned, and, you know, there's, and I feel like it's going to make ourselves make us a better football team, make me a better coach. And uh, you know, I could go on and on about different things. Uh, there's some things I'd love to talk about, some things I don't want to talk about. But <laughs> you know, but I mean, you know, yeah, we had. I, I mean, it was a good season, eight and three, considering considering all the things that went on, considering the players that we lost from the year before. Um, you know, I I expect to always try to. Well, I want to be better than that. And uh, so, I mean, there's things you know. Every, we, we've done watched every film from last year to try and get better. What, you know, better at us and seeing how we can make this 2021 football team the best they can be. Coming out of the spring, Cody and Allen into the fall camp, if you had to pick a group that you were potentially going to lean on or a group like, man, this group here, this is where we kind of need to hang out or anchor on, who's impressed you uh, so far as you prepare for this 2021 version of the Maroon Tide? Uh, Clay, I'll be honest with you, all of them. Uh, we got some resilient, resilient kids and then – and I'm pretty sure every coach can speak for themselves, their, their own team because these guys have faced so much adversity already in just their young lives. It's, it's not even funny about how they're resilient through it. But, uh, you know, uh, you know, we went into the spring. We played pretty tough teams in Theodore, Alabama, and the host of Springs. Uh, we replaced four off of the linemen. And uh, from and four of those guys started for two years for us in the state championship in 2019. But, you know, we, we, we were unsure of how we were going to be up front, and uh, we moved some guys around and, you know, we found some surprises, of course. You know, I'm an offensive line guy, so that's that's who I'm going to lean on, and that's who we're yeah. going to lean on. So, you know, I was impressed with how we performed in the spring game, and for, I was just impressed with this group of their summer work ethic and how we've come along so far in fall camp. And, 
you know, just we've got a few seniors that are, have been great leaders for us. Uh, Noah Carter, Keegan Jones, Dory Robinson, uh, I can, uh, Ryan Pascal. You know, these guys have, have put in some work. I mean, speaking of Noah Carter, he hasn't missed a day since January 1st. That's wow. school, workouts, anything like that. So if that doesn't speak leadership, I don't know what does. But, you know, we, we we're, we're, while we're picking, you know, we're pretty blessed to have a great backfield. We're going to lean on, you know, we have some good guys back there. I believe this is the most talented group of backs we've probably ever had as a whole. Wow. Uh, we've got four guys we could put back there, you know, that that can that can just go. And, you know, and of course, it's all going to come down to the guys up front. But we're excited about them, you know. I mean, it's an exciting, exciting time for picking football. Once again, we're joined by Cody Stockner, head football coach for the Picking and Maroon Tide here on the Paul's Pastry Hotline. And, and you know, Cody, Clay asked you the question between year one and year two, and I'm going to ask a similar, but I'm going to phrase it a little different. You know, we're, <laughs> we're in this time. I, I, the, the pandemic has kind of snuck up on us to start this school year here in Mississippi and the South or all over the nation as a whole. But from year one to year two, how is it important or how, how important is it to get that spring and this summer under your belt when last year it was cut short or at some instance non-existent uh, because of the pandemic and the, and the, the situation that, that y'all are faced with. No, man, it was, it's so huge. Uh, you know, we were, you know, being able to have spring, we were able to find out, you know, who can we, you know, get people in position where we think we can make it successful and find out who can play and who can't, who's going to block and who's going to tackle. Ultimately, that's what it's down to. And, uh, you know, we were able to focus and have a summer kind of more mapped out how we had planned as year one. We were able to do it this summer, how we, how we had planned. And, you know, spring football, you know, some people don't believe in it, but I'm a firm believer in it because, you know, last year we went again one, you know, with some guys on the field not knowing if they they could tackle or not. And, uh, you know, we, we learned real quick our first few games that, you know, some could, and we learned that we had, we had the wrong guy in there, but we ended up getting the right people in. But that's where spring comes into play. And, and like I said, just our summer was more based off of how we how we did in the spring, and we didn't get to hang that in year one. And so, yeah, we were pretty blessed and fortunate to have it this, this year. And you know, with everything going on, you know, we talked we talked about today as a team. Uh, we can't control what's going on outside of you know of of, of the fifty two guys that are out there right now. So we're trying to focus on us. Uh, whatever happens, happens. You know, we're going to work like we're trying to win every day and uh, just keep moving forward. Cody, you mentioned the talented uh, backfield, and that's going to get some of the glory it always has for picking for some of the guys up front doing a, a lot of the work. But the Dydell kid jumps out at um, at you when you just look at him as a physical specimen. Obviously, he's gotten attention of some uh, Division One coaches as well. Um, seeing him work, uh, Cody, and then I've talked about him. If you would just kind of tell our listeners his size, his speed, uh, what's expected of him this this season for the Maroon Tide? Well, Dante, he's a junior. He's uh, he's roughly about six foot two, two hundred ten pounds. Uh, we have him on clock as a four six forty, but he's a three hundred fifteen pound bencher, three hundred pound power planer. Uh, I'm not even sure we stop him when he squats because we don't want him to hurt himself. So I don't know <laughs> how much he can squat. I mean, I mean, he's he's got it. You know, he's got the factors that those guys are looking for. And on top of that, he's a 4.0 student. So, I mean, wow. that's, that's something that gets overshadowed by everything else involved with him. But, you know, on top of being a great athlete and great football player, he's a great student. So he's doing everything right that he's supposed to do. He's, you know, he's taking care of, of the little things uh, in order to make himself successful on the next level. And, 
Yeah, I mean, he, he he's, a, he's a pretty, he's a physical specimen. I mean, you know, a lot of us would love to, you know, probably give him a pinky toe. That way we can kind of be built like him. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I mean, but he's a great kid. You know, I played, I played with his dad. His dad was a, a tremendous football player uh, himself. And, you know, we're expecting big things from Dante. You know, Dante's going to have a few different roles as well this year. Uh, you know, might not seem as much early on in defense, but he's going to have his chance to play some over there too, so. Um, you know, but with him, along with him, though, we still got Dorian Robinson that, you know, uh, he's a senior. He's a, he played, he's a three-year starter at linebacker for us, and he adds a different element when he's in the game. You know, last year, Austin Samples gets, uh, gets quarantined. Dorian comes in and rushes the ball for 35 times against Gauthier and ultimately scores the game-winning touchdown against them. Uh, and we're, we're really excited about two sophomore running backs we've got, and, uh, Chris Davis and Naki Ratcliffe. I mean, these two guys can go. I mean, they're not, you know, normally you see picking picking tail bash. We're not very big. We're about five six, about one hundred and fifty five pounds. Well, these guys are they look the part. You know, and they 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 run the ball like picking running backs are supposed to run the ball. And and in front of them we got Darnell Darnell Smith uh, returning. He's a junior this year, fullback. Looks like a little bowling ball. We call him a little bulldog. So you know, Dante's got some help back there. You know, it doesn't have to be the Dante show. So that's what we're excited about as well. The Davis kid, uh, outfielder for Picayune baseball, is that right, Cody? Had phenomenal yes, speed sir. out there, track and fly ball. Absolutely, that, that's him. <laughs> yeah, should be uh, fun to watch, Cody. Something that kind of called our eye. Um, of course, we're the Popperville Radio crew, and y'all stole the uh, field goal before the half off the foot of a then freshman kicker. But talk about your special teams and in tight ball games, how uh, they may play a part. Well, I mean, we got Morgan back. He's a sophomore, and you know, I've never, we've never had a kicker who's worked as hard as Morgan does. And, you know, he, he's he's working to perfect his craft. Uh, he's a he's a he's a fine kicker for us. You know, we got, I mean, you know, we trust him putting him out there. You know, we're still we're working with him every day. We're trying to figure out his distance and where we can rely on him. And you know, I I, I trust him to go out there and put it through put it through the uprights. And you know, he's gotten better and better. He's went to some Ray guy camps this year, learned a few new tricks and. Uh, you know, special teams wise, you know, of course, you know, we battle special teams every year. People, you know, we're trying to figure out how to get the best players on the field in our special teams because that's one way you don't want to lose a football game. Mm. Uh, I've never thought that you could win a football game on special teams, but you think you could lose one. So mm. we're, uh, we've been focusing a lot on that. We've got, I feel like we've got the right players in the right places out there right now. And, uh, you know, we're, we're and it's just an aspect of the game that we, we actually focused on a lot this summer. Cody, man, we Jeff and I always appreciate you. We said that at the beginning. I think you're still, if you're not number one, you're really close to our our most visited with guests. Me and Jeff were looking. I think this is our 97th or 98th episode, and you've been on quite a few of them. Cody, we appreciate you, bud. Good luck. We got to fix that. I like to be number one now, so we got. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, hey, well, we'll, me and Jeff say we'll keep calling if you'll keep answering. How about that? I will, brother. I appreciate y'all. If you like sports, we think you will love the Talking Ball Y'all podcast. The podcast has had some great guests lately. Like the football coach Will Hall. And ESPN's Wright Thompson. And legendary Mississippi sports writer Rick Cleveland. Oh, and Dad, you almost forgot Brett Favre was on too. That's right, Easton. We have had some great guests on the podcast. This is Jeff Lossett, co-founder and producer of the Talking Ball Y'all podcast. You can get the podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Once again, thanks for all the support, and thanks for listening. 
Welcome back, everybody, to Pearl River County Football Pre- Preview Show for the Talking Ball Y'all podcast. I'm Jason Baker, uh, having the honor to be able to interview the head coach of the Poplarville Hornets, Jay Beach. Jay, if I can, I'd like to go back all the way to December. I know you wouldn't, but a loss like what you encountered in the state championship, 15-14, to 14, uh, to Louisville last uh, December 5th, when you look at that loss, what has it done for your team and your program maybe this offseason? Is it something you've relied upon as a motivating factor? Is it something that is brought up, or is it really sort of pushed in the closet and you know just kind of not seen, not heard kind of th- sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, every time you lose a game like that, you learn something from it. And, you know, we learned that football is a game of inches, and there's things you can do, you know, in your preparation and your mentality and your habits to – to, to win those inches back and that's what we're trying to do this year you know taking the you know taking the little things very serious uh, and we lost by a few inches and um, football's a game of inches and um, that's kind of been our motto and you know we're just pushing to be a little uh, you know be a little more uh, diligent in, in our practice habits over the course of this run that you've had here at Poplarville High School, uh, just knowing you like I know you, you've had some fantastic off seasons. What about this one? What has it been like for this team as you sit here just literally about, uh, what, I guess about eight days away from playing your first uh, action in a jamboree against East Central next Friday? Uh, what's this off season uh, been like for this football team? Yeah, we've had a great off offseason. Um, you know, our kids know the importance of the weight room. Our kids know they have to get bigger, faster, and stronger. Um, they, they know that, you know, hard work in the weight room equals results on the field. They've seen it, you know, they've seen it and they experienced it. So um, they've worked hard, and especially since fall camps began, our seniors have really stepped it up. And, uh, man, they're leading very well. They got an edge to them. They're, they're excited about practice, and they're uh, – you know, they're leading the way with enthusiasm and effort, and they're showing the other guys that, that practice is important and it's going to help us win games. Before we get to the positions and the position groups on this team and, uh, and maybe some key players uh, for the Hornets, one thing that hit me tonight on the way over here to take this interview, uh, this was your first offseason really with Jacob Acock at, through a spring training. They didn't get that last year. Uh, due to due to the coronavirus and the COVID pandemic, um, he and both John Addison Ford, the new additions to this staff, uh, they didn't get a spring a year ago. They got it this spring. Uh, where do you feel like maybe has that played a part in this? Do you think maybe now this is a defense that's maybe a little further ahead because of spring with Coach Acock? Maybe assess uh, what that's been uh, as you return your defensive coordinator for a second season. Yeah, we're definitely ahead of where, of where we were last year for sure. Um, they they know the system now. They know the kind of technique he wants them to play. And, you know, we had a, a Coach Story's defense. It was a certain type of defense with a certain type of techniques. And then it kind of took us a little while to transform into what Coach Acott wanted us to. It took some trial and error and some just getting used to. But now we've had a full year and a half in the system. So we're really clicking on all cylinders. Maybe not on all cylinders yet, but we're, we're, we're flying around pretty good, playing with a lot of confidence in his system. Um, you know, Andy's got some pretty good pieces to work with too. Yeah, speaking of pieces, uh, if I can go back to December, one of the 
bright spots of the month of December last year, I believe it was December, maybe January, uh, was your senior now defensive end, Khalid Moore, sort of uh, sent shockwaves across our Poplarville community. He came out, his first Division I offer uh, was Mississippi State University. Prior to that, um, it's my understanding, he only held one other offer from Pearl River Community College. Uh, from, from that point, he's now garnered, I think, about 13 to 16 Division I offers. What's that been like? Uh, this is sort of unique because we've not necessarily had a highly visible, highly recruited player uh, kind of come through this program through an offseason. We've got some players at the Division One ranks, but what's it been like watching this kind of take place where uh, you've been uh, sort of bantered around by, by Division One head coaches trying to pursue Mr. Khalid Moore to their program? Yeah. Well, first of all, it's very exciting. I'm very proud of him. He's earned it. He, he deserves it. Um, He's put his work in. He, he's he's done it the right way and, and did it on the field and in the weight room. Uh, so very proud of him. And now that being said, when you get a big you know Division One SEC offered kid, you know what what comes into your mind as a coach is you know is he going to be satisfied now? You know he's got his offer already. Is he going to just maybe coast through a senior year just so he can play college football? But that's not Khalid. Khalid wants to win. He wants to win a state championship. Uh, he wants to play hard for his brothers. He wants to do well for his community. And then that, that college football will be there when he graduates. When you look at him, what do you think has been the number one reason why he's garnered that, that offer and in, in the interest from Division One schools? I think it's his uh, intensity and effort on the field really sticks out. And then, you know, he's six foot two, over 200 pounds. You've got to have size, too. I mean, that's no secret. Uh, so being 6'2 and being able to run, but you know, there's a lot of 6'2, 200-pound kids in the state. So what made him stick out is, like I said, I think his just intensity, athleticism, and, and physicality. Let's look to that defense, if we may. Uh, what I think it returns a pretty good handful number of starters. You've got Khalid Moore, who's going to return. Chase Dare, a three technique, will return as a starter. Nikhil Trotter, a gentleman we call Tank. Uh, returns along that defensive line. The linebacking core returns two of the three uh, linebackers, and Mark Will uh, also returns uh, Ahmad Harmon. Uh, the big loss, I guess, is in that core is Mason Anderson, I think our leading tackler from a year ago. Uh, but the secondary's probably been the one that's got probably the most pieces to replace. What have you seen from the defense in fall camp? And uh, maybe speak to some of those pieces that you get back. I did, we got a really good defensive line. Um, you know they're they're physical, fast. They they play with a tremendous amount of effort. Um, really, uh, we're gonna hang our hat on that D line. Um, you know all of them, all four of them started last year at, at one point or the other. Tucker didn't get too very long because of injury, but uh, he's back now. So Tucker, Tank, Chase, Dare, and Khalid, um, you know all all returned from last year with a lot of experience. Uh, two out of the three linebackers. Started last year for us, Ahmad and and, and Mark Will, with uh, our Sam linebacker uh, will be Edward Jordan and William Harry. They didn't start, but you know they're going to be really good. And like you said, our secondary will be where we're having to uh, get put some new faces in that maybe not have a lot of experience, but um, we're real confident in those guys. Um, got Quan Hutterson, Lawrence Jamison, Riley Passman. Uh, just a couple more kids are going to be good back there. So we feel pretty good about them, too. When you look at uh, that unit, if you had to say uh, going into the season, 
how have they performed in this fall camp? Have they performed up to your expectation? Is it is it what you want to see? I, I know you go offense and defense as we tape this. You've not totally gone completely live yet due to the Mississippi High School Athletic Association kind of acclimation period into fall practice. Uh, but what have you seen from them uh, as you sort of wrap up fall camp and get ready for game week next week? Yeah, well, we, we played a lot of seven-on-seven seven this summer and got to just see our DBs in action. And, um, you know, we made some mistakes, made some good plays. I think we got better throughout the summer and played on seven-on-seven. Seven. And now fall camp, you know, when we're trying to run offense against them, they're, they're good. You know, they're hard to move the ball on, running the wing tee for sure. They, uh, they're tough. So, um, you know, I think, you know, we're going to be a defensive-minded football team this year. We're visiting with the head coach, Jay Beach, of the Poplarville Hornets on the Talking Ball Y'all podcast. As we move to that <clears throat> powerful wing T offense, uh, you returned two of your uh, three 1,000-yard backs uh, from a year ago. Tyron Holston returns. DJ Richard Bay returns uh, as the three back in this wing T offense. I think one of the bigger pieces that you return is your signal caller. Uh, Matt will return as a, as a now a two-year starter. He was a sophomore a year ago, and then you replaced three of the five starters on the offensive line. Uh, that's including the tight end. Um, so you'll have a replacement at the tight end position, but it, it's got to feel good to look in the backfield, see Mr. Richard Bay, see Tyron Holston. I think both of them were nominated preseason All-State uh, all uh, in the classification of 4A. What's the unit been like, and, and maybe where do you see a, a situation where they've got to improve? Well, our O-line, I think we have the, the talent there and we have the size. We have two 300-pounders starting. Uh, our guards are both 6'3". Uh, you know, we've got a smaller center in Blake Gibson, but he gets after it really good. Um, you know, our offensive line is going to be a unit that is going to get better every week. We may not be hitting on all cylinders that first week, but, you know, through every day in practice already, we're getting better and better and improving on some of the things that we need to improve on. So I think we're going to be good there. I, I'm, I'm excited about watching them. It's a senior-heavy group. We're not young. We're just inexperienced. Um, and then, you know, we've got experience in the backfield, which, which will help us. Connor Davis, one of those offensive linemen, he's a young man who's got all kinds of uh, potential. He's got the potential to play at the next level, I feel. Uh, he's a two-year starter back. He has started, I believe, since he was a sophomore and, and every game as a junior. Uh, maybe speak to him. Speak to how much will you rely upon him on that offensive line to, to be the veteran, to be the guy with all the snaps and the experience. He, along with Mason Wheat, uh, have a lot of experience under their belt as the two offensive line who return. Uh, what are you looking from for Connor? What's his – What's his offseason been like, and, and what do you see from him going into this year? Yeah, every, every offseason, Connor has a good offseason. That's the only, <laughs> the only thing he knows how to do is work and work hard, and he's going to give you his best every day. Um, and he's gonna, he has the size and talent on the offensive line to, um, you know, we're having to do misdirection and block on angles, but now with Connor, we can line up and just run right at people, at, you know, if we want to. We feel behind him, so – that's a good, you know, that's a good feeling to have. Uh, when, when all it's failed, just give it to DJ behind Connor, and we usually have pretty good success. Jay, as as we look into this interview and as you get ready for the cusp of the season, I don't find you to be this guy, but I don't know. I, I don't know that I've ever asked you this. 
with the run that you've been on in in the success that this program has had, I know you've not crowned the final jewel in winning a state title, and I'm sure that's what motivates you. But have you been able to stop and just kind of look back and think, maybe in the process of getting Khalid recruited like he was, have you stopped and just been like, man, look look at what these kids, this community, this this coaching staff, I certainly don't want to leave them out, what y'all have built, do you take a moment in the off season to – maybe look back and, and think about what this program's accomplished so far? Uh, I mean, I think back of uh, great memories all the time. You know, I think the great memories of 2014, that team, you know, my first year here, and a lot of our coaches came along with me as their first year too. And the run we had, winning two overtime games with one on a two-point conversion, one on a block PAT, and just the sheer excitement we had that year and winning a – Ended up beating St. Stanislaus, winning a district title. Uh, man, I, just so so many great memories throughout the you know throughout the years. I couldn't. I mean, um, that that's super special to me, and I, I can visualize every kid that's played for me here and the excitement we've had and the great times we've had. And I've just it's been a, just a, such a fun time, a great time. Um, it's so exciting and. These kids have poured their heart out, and we've been in some big-time football games and, and and fought to the to the wire in a lot of them, and came out and won some of them and lost some of them. So that's been it's been an awesome ride. Well, uh, with that, uh, I'll wrap up with this kind of a unique question, and you don't know I'm fixing to ask this. A unique thing for you, you don't coach middle school, but you now have a middle schooler in your household. Your son, Lennox Beach, uh, is a Poplarville Hornet now. He's attending school here, playing football here. Have you found yourself in a moment's time to think that, like, how neat that's going to be when you get the opportunity? You're great friends with Seth Smith, who's talking on this podcast earlier, the head coach of Pro Community College. You're coaching his son, and it was always his dream to coach his son, but he's now coaching at the college level. Have you begun to think about the time that you'll get a chance to coach Lennox and, and maybe what, that, uh, what that'll feel like? Yeah, absolutely. I'm already excited about, you know, you know, trying to learn where they're putting him in seventh grade and trying to help him along. And he's excited about it. And I'm, I'm really excited about watching him come through the program. And I hope uh, he gets out of it what, what a lot of these other kids got to get out of it. And, you know, it's just going to be a fun few next few years to see him come through the program and hopefully excel. All right, uh, Excel he will if he gets to play in this program. The Hornets, uh, certainly no stranger to success. And, uh, boy, a lot of it's got to do with you, my man. And uh, what a run it's been on. It's hard to believe it's here, but uh, it is eight days away from uh, kickoff against the East Central Hornets in a, in a jamboree here in Poplarville. Jay, thank you for your time. All right, thank you, Jason. Appreciate that, it. That's our head coach, Jay Beach, of the Poplarville Hornets. They'll get started uh, in the Hornets' nest next Friday night taking on uh, East Central, an opponent, uh, boy, you want to talk about some classics. Uh, they played two Hornet Bowls uh, for South State titles a couple of years ago, one in this building uh, in the Hornets' nest and another over in Hurley. And, uh, boy, what a scenes uh, those were. Uh, each team winning one of those South State championships. I'm Jason Baker. We thank you for listening uh, to the Talking Ball Y'all podcast. We'll be back with Clay and Jeff. Hello, Hornet fans. Devin Smith here. I am so excited to be a proud supporter of Hornet football for the 2021 season. I am also honored 
to serve you in any or all of your real estate needs. Poplarville, Carrier, Picayune, Hattiesburg, or anywhere along the Mississippi Gulf Coast. You can contact me for any of those needs at REMAX Premier Group in Picayune, Mississippi. My cell phone is 601-347-2641 or at my office, 601-798-3399. Go Hornets! We are now joined by Pearl River Community College Wildcats football coach, Seth Smith. Seth, thanks for taking time for Jeff and I. Man, thank you guys for having me. Seth, let's look at it, man. Year two, um, the excitement level I know with you is always off the charts. That's what we expect again, I do imagine. Well, good Lord bless us. We're breathing. So, yeah, we're going to try to stay excited. Yeah, we're going to try to do that win, lose, or draw. Even if, you know, win, lose, or draw, we're going to try to be appreciative. Talk about that energy, that excitement, Seth, when uh, you, like, the world we live in, right, kind of a steady dose of change-ups and curveballs here over the last couple years. How does that help a program, uh, a unit, a coaching unit stay up and, and keep a positive energy? Well, I don't <laughs> – all right, well, you said how does that – I don't know that it's beneficial in any way that's just what we're going through, but I know that our only hope, obviously, is – what the good Lord gives us, that beautiful fate. So for us, you know, it's something that we just can't control. So if you sit around thinking about it, worrying about it all day, you know, because it, it literally, like you said, it's day to day. And and honestly, you'd be miserable. So we just kind of stay in our little bubble, pardon the pun, just come to work, work hard, and just wake up each day hoping and assuming that, you know, we'll get get to go to practice, get to coach football, and get prepared for a 20, you know, 21 season. Just tell us and the listeners what you learned from the 2020 experience, your first year there at Pearl River. So we only have 15 minutes, huh? That's all we have. Hey, that's right. <laughs> hey, we can air it out. We're on your time, bro. Yeah. Well, what, what I'll do is try to condense this without you guys falling asleep. I mean, so, so a bunch of things, obviously. You know, one thing that I hate, and I genuinely mean this, I hate it for the kids we had last year because they didn't get a fair shake at this. And I'm not making excuses. I'm just being honest. They didn't get a fair shake at who we're going to be and who we're going to be become, become because, you know, we get the job and then COVID hit. So, okay, there goes your spring. Then, oh, then there goes your summer. Then we have a little fall camp. I mean, this is just a reality. We're going into the season, and honestly, we're still learning names of the kids. All right? So so now you don't know if you're playing week to week. Just, man, just any, it, it's the same thing everybody lives in, in, in their daily life and their profession. You know, but for us, I guess the main thing that we learned is what we just started off. You can choose faith or you can choose fear. Wake up with belief or doubt. And for us, I mean, we just try to wake up each day and put that little faith cap on, be enthusiastic about what God gave us and go to work because that's, that's again, all we can control. And I'm not trying to sound corny and cliche, but it, it genuinely, you know, that is it. Uh, from a coaching standpoint, the biggest thing we learned was you know, we come into this league just little high school coaches, so we really knew nothing about any of these things. So one benefit to last year was at least we got to have a recruiting season, a spring, and a summer with the understanding of, you know, the opponents we're going against and, and really how far we've got to go to close that gap. So that was the biggest, the biggest uh, you know, part of that from an educational standpoint was just kind of learning a little bit more about what this league's about. Steph, when you look at the league and the way it's changed since you played in it, some of the biggest surprises or uh, something that you kind of looked at and went, wow, man, I didn't expect this, so to speak. What 
what kind of opened your eyes that first year? All right, so one thing, one, one, one thing, but listen, part of this could have been, you know, we're playing, you know, conference games only, but the, the biggest thing, uh, Clay, was everybody's good. You know, again, you coach high school football 16, 17 years, and, yeah, I played here, Lord, over two decades ago. That's a long time ago. <laughs> but but the biggest thing I took away was, you know, just the truth. I know it's cliche, but it's a fact. If you have an off game, you're losing. Like, there's no, there, there's no such thing as a homecoming game. You're having homecoming festivities, but it's not a homecoming game. Steph, offensively, correct me if I'm wrong, but you brought in Bo Wallace. That was after the season, so this will be his first time through um, with game action. What can we expect to see a change in the offense, or what will uh, Mr. Wallace bring to the offensive side of the ball for the Wildcats? Yeah, you can expect to see a way better coach than me. He's a little bit sharper than I am when it comes to throwing the football, so that, that part's exciting. But, but I do want to throw this out there. I know they say stats are for losers, but I still I, I'm, I'm proud of this stat because it's a tribute to Coach Chatham, you know, and the other young offensive coaches we had last year. You know, obviously, you know, the goal is to win games, but it was fun to see a little bit of growth. So a lot of people don't realize we actually led the league in rushing and we were third overall in total offense. So we were first in rushing. Nice. We were sixth in passing. I think we threw for like 175 a game and run for 208 a game, which put us third behind, I think, Gulf Coast and maybe Northwest. So that that's something a lot of people don't even realize. So that kind of gave us a foundation to build on. But it was just clear. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not being funny. I'm being honest. I mean, Bo was a tremendous collegiate football player, and he's a sharp mind. I mean, he played for Coach Freeze, who's a heck of a lot smarter than me. So Bo brought those concepts to us, and him and Coach Chatham kind of married some of our stuff up front with some of his stuff on the back end, and hopefully – Hopefully, it can make a pretty baby. We'll see. Coach, when you look at defensively, um, a guy that guys that you're really mirror you in the energy side, and, and Coach Breland and Coach Trahan that I've had a chance uh, to be around. Coach Sims, who I follow on Twitter, I actually feel like I I know him. That's how social media can either be deceiving in a, in a good way or a bad way, but he's such a good follow on uh, Twitter and seems like a, a tremendous guy. Let's talk about that side of the ball and what you're excited about in year two with them. Yeah, so obviously, I, I obviously, you know, new tie, grew up together like a big brother to me, uh, and I've known so for many years. Both of those guys, phenomenal, okay, do a great job. And just like me, they had to learn a little bit about this league last year, too. It was new to them. But, but. Knew, I knew them, and they were as advertised what I expected. The, the guy I did not know was Coach Sims. And, you know, you're probably going to think I'm saying this because he works here, but I'm telling you, man, I've been coaching almost 18 years. He is the best secondary coach I've ever been around. I mean, this man wow. works. You know, we all take pride to put work into our craft, but it's unbelievable the hours he puts in. And, and he's a perfectionist, and, and I really do believe that I, the hope is that all that work that he's put in, we've put in, will show up this year. But, no, that, that, that man works. And you put the three of them together. And, and we think they're building something special on defense. You know, another thing that's exciting, and this is no disrespect because we're so thankful that we got to coach the kids we coached last year. You know, but what's cool about going into this year, so this year you could you can't make an excuse because every kid on this team this year we either kept or we picked. So you can't blame it on nobody other than yourself, and that's all you can ask for in life. 
is a man in the mirror. So that's why we're excited about September 2nd. Seth, give us some names of some guys that you're excited about that, like you just said, kind of your own grocery, some guys that uh, you kept or that you went out and shot for yourself. Give us some names of uh, some Wildcats to look forward to. Yeah, all right. So the first one is, is obviously a no-brainer. You know, and, and listen, we're pretty old too, man. We've got we've got several <laughs> several old, which is good. That's what I told our guy, mm-hmm. our coaches. You better embrace this because this experience ain't may not be here every year. So we got to soak this up. But Latrell Jones, man, you know, mm-hmm. obviously you've got SEC offers. He's a dang. You know, he's a stud. We've got. Uh, some other receivers, uh, Tavion from Oak Grove, he's got some D1 offers. Uh, obviously, Tony Brown in the backfield. And uh, Chris Holyfield, who, that uh, you know, I underutilized him last year. He's a running back, but he's so explosive. And I think Coach Wallace will do a, a much better job than I did of, of, of utilizing him this year. A lot of our old linemen are back. That's exciting. You know, we have nine guys back on offense, so that that's encouraging. Defensively, mm-hmm. you know, a, a guy y'all – you probably remember from last year, but I think is extremely, extremely underrated. His name is Jalen Glaude. He's about 6'3", 270. You know, he had some small D1s last year, but he wanted to come back and see if he can get a Power 5 offer. Hmm. Uh, Big Noah Mitchell, I don't know if you ever heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he came back. We expect big things out of him. Uh, uh, another transfer. Yeah, like, that I just to stop you on. Let me stop you on Noah. We had yeah. a chance, the pleasure, I should say, to visit with him uh, last year. What a young man, too, right? I mean, I know you've gotten a chance to coach some good ones, but he's got to be high on the list as far as just across the board. Yeah, man, he, he just checks the box. He makes your job easier as a coach because you know he's going to not just put the work in you ask him to put in. He puts the extra work in, and then the guys, the younger guys watch that, so the more guys you have like that, in my opinion, now I'm not, you know, I don't know it all, but in my opinion, the more guys you have like that that these young guys can mirror, you, you can get to a point in your program where, where the players almost run it themselves. You know, and that's mm-hmm. a good place to be in when they're going to help coach each other. So, yeah, I mean, he, he's a no brainer. You know, another linebacker uh, transferred from South Alabama, Zach Jones, the kid that I coached in high school. So, just we like the depth. You know, Coach Sims brought back Luther Wooler. Uh, had a kid that played at Jefferson Davis. He transferred in here from another JUCO at corner. Uh, Micah Cherry, a, cor- a, guy, a guy at corner. Dejo. I could go on and on. I mean, I really think, you know, I, I, I'm breathing deep and I'm pausing because we're going to stay really, really humble and keep working because by no means have we arrived and we've got a lot, you know, still a lot of work to do and a lot to prove. But I genuinely think that this year will mirror what we feel like we'll look like moving forward. Seth, you mentioned it kind of probably in your first answer, but to have that measuring stick and, and a true barometer in last year, that's good, right? I mean, that gives you something on tape to look at, something, as you mentioned, a ton of Wildcats coming back. So they know what to expect. That's got to be beneficial. Oh, absolutely. And, again, it makes your job easier as a coach because, you know, you're bringing guys back who have been in the league a year, some of these guys two years. So, you know, there's going to be no surprises for them. And more than that, from a coaching standpoint, again, I'm just being open with you. Coach high school a long time, been around this game pretty much my whole life. You know, I get the job, and just, it's football. It's, and it is football, okay? But it's, it's a little different level of football. So you have to, as a coach, get accustomed. It's a little bit faster. Guys are a little bit better. You know, we took a, a ton of pride at East Central in making sure we executed at what we did. Well, here your playbook grows a little bit, okay? 
it's it's a little more than the four plays we ran at East Central. So that means you have to put more time in trying to perfect more plays, which is obviously time-consuming, but it's a necessity if you're going to be successful in this league. Dev, you mentioned it, and I know high school coaches across our state uh, certainly respect it. But, man, how cool is it to be able to pop in to a game on a, a Thursday or in, in a case that it's scheduled on a Saturday and see this level of football? I mean, it is high and stuff, isn't it? It is rewarding. It really is. And, you know, I know y'all may think I'm being corny. I mean this stuff, though. It, it's humbling, honestly. I mean, I'm just, it's like I've said in a bunch, I'm just a little guy from Miller. Thank God for whatever reason, I'm blessed to get this job. So it is. I mean, you know, yeah. you say that about my energy, but it, it's genuine. I'm, I'm genuinely appreciative. So when you get up every day and, and you go to work, it's called work, but it's not work. When you love what you do, you can't help but be excited. And the, and the great thing is, like we tell our kids all the time, I know they think I'm crazy out there, but I told them it's the best kind of crazy. It's a crazy love because you coach. The reason you coach is to help a child become something greater than he knew he could be because he's still a young man. So you get to go out here every day and push these kids to try to elevate themselves to something they had no idea they could be. And then when they become that, who's going to put a tear in your eye? So just, man, just. Honestly, grateful to be here. And being there allows you on Friday nights to every now and then, I imagine, assign yourself to Popperville football and go scout them and, and your son. How, how special is that, Seth, in the fall to line up and be able to, to watch him in action? Yeah, it's, it, uh, yeah, just, again, thankful. And, and you know, you said assign myself. Well, luckily, if I, if I didn't assign myself to Popperville, I probably wouldn't be married. So that's uh, a. <laughs> Thank you, Seth. <laughs>